Welcome to the CKNW Weekend Morning Show Podcast. I'm your Saturday host, Sterling Fox, and today, Laura Jones of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business talks about the impact of the ending of federal COVID benefit programs on many small businesses across the country. Annette Robinson, president of the BC Pharmacy Association, will join us to remind us about the flu shot. They're available now. And pollster Mario Canseco looks at how widely cannabis legalization, now three years old, is accepted in our communities. Here we go. There's a new poll out from the Angus Reid organization suggesting the majority of Canadians want government benefits, uh, COVID benefits, to end before next year. Diving deeper into the poll, here in British Columbia, 39% of us wants the benefit to end now. 17% say wait till the end of the year and 44% would like to see them kept in place for longer. These are benefits as they impact individuals. Many of these government benefit programs, of course, are designed to help businesses. Businesses. Here to talk about the impact of possibly ending all of these programs suddenly is the Executive Vice President and Chief Strategic Officer with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Always a pleasure to say good morning to Laura Jones. Always a pleasure to say good morning to you too, Sterling. Let's talk a little bit about this uh, benefit package. Uh, let's talk about the CFIB reaction to the government announcement of suspension of benefits, please, Laura. Yeah, and I wonder, Sterling, you know, you, you're often excited to have me on on the weekend because it's it's often when our surveys are out in the field, so you get first, you get you you get the insights first. And sure I wonder do. if I can zoom out for a minute, and because we've got one in the field right now, and we've got about four thousand responses, and I think it's going to give the right context around the benefit um, programs to just zoom out and say, what are business owners? overall concerned about right okay. now. And of course, the list is very long. You're not going to be surprised to hear that. Three quarters, so three out of four businesses are saying their top concern right now is cost, like what's going on with anything that affects their costs. Businesses are still really, um, many of them, very fragile. They're carrying debt. We've talked about that before mm-hmm. on your show. And anything that affects costs is um, is, is top of mind. Um, right, uh, right, not that far behind that, two-thirds of businesses worried about supply chain challenges. Sure. And that's way up from, you know, typically that's more at like, you know, 15%. In um, early pandemic, it was about 20%. We're worried about that. So two-thirds. And we're hearing from businesses who are paying, you know, double, triple, sometimes even four times what they normally pay to get things shipped. So that's a big one. And then not surprisingly, labor shortages um, and inflation come in um, at about half of business owners worried Mm -hmm. um, about those things. Um, And then you get to about a third worried about um, about the survival of their business and then the phasing out of government support. So this ties into your question, the phasing out of government support where restrictions are still in place. And I want to just remember, let's remember, there are some big restrictions still in place, particularly for hospitality, gyms. They've got to check passports. They're dealing with sometimes uh, customers who aren't super happy about that. Mm -hmm. They also have to pay people to be at the door to to do that. It's slowing down how many people can get into the businesses. Um, So you've got all of that um, uh, going on. Now, when we look at that one in three that's worried about phasing out of government support while restrictions are still in place, that jumps to much higher, more like two out of three um, and higher when you're talking about those 
sectors that we've been talking about throughout the pandemic, um, hospitality, arts and recreations, your gyms, your dance centers, your hotels, your mm-hmm. restaurants, and your events-based businesses. It's also very high among businesses who started um, you know, March 2020, they had already paid their, their, for all their equipment. They had their business planning. And of course, they've been shut out of, 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 of support, um, for, uh, from, for the pandemic, you know, as a whole. So that gives you the context. You know, now we've got, uh, we've got, you know, the finance minister making an announcement about, um, what's ending, what's changing. Right. And of course, the rent, uh, program and the wage subsidy are coming to an end and there's more targeted programs there. Same for the Canada response benefit. Um, those programs are all coming to an end on October 23rd and being replaced with more targeted, uh, programs. So that's the context. The reaction I can talk about, um, unless you want to give me another question, because I've been I've been kind of just flying at it here. No, no, it's great, and and we all saw Christian Freeland yesterday talking specifically about that. Today is the twenty third. Today is the day that many of those programs, in fact, stop, Laura. And so the minister yesterday was talking about they're going to be replaced by more specifically targeted programs. Now the question is, how wide will the cracks be between those specifically targeted programs into which we're going to lose a few uh, small businesses. Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, the, the big changes, the big programs that are changing, both the wage subsidy and the rent subsidy, and then the um, Canada response benefit. I mean, there's some good news, bad news here. Okay, good news is the programs aren't just all screeching to halt. Mm-hmm. That would have been a very, I talk about, you know, we need a soft landing out of this mess. Businesses don't want to stay on subsidies. Let's be clear about that. Sure. I mean, the world's upside down, right? But they need to get back to sales. And so what they've replaced them with are programs with much higher bars. And, and so um, there's still some general support available, um, but your revenues have to be down 50% to qualify for that general support. That's a very high bar. And if your revenues are down 50%, you're going to qualify for a 10% subsidy. Mm-hmm. So that's for that's for what they call hardest hit business recovery program. There's a slightly more generous program for actually it's, it's not slightly it's more generous program for tourism and hospitality, and there the subsidy starts at forty percent. And so if you're down forty percent, you will get a forty percent subsidy. But if you're a restaurant and you're down thirty five percent, you're no longer eligible for any help. Mm. Okay, so, so that's what that that's what this looks like in the messy real world. Exactly, and and you have thousands of members all across the country. You're here in Vancouver, but your membership is everywhere from here to Newfoundland. What is the what's the reaction? What sort of stuff are you are you hearing this weekend? Oh, the phone lines were lit up yesterday with business owners who are very concerned about what's going on. But first of all, confused. So there's two two big emotions. One confused, what the heck is going on? How do we understand these programs? Right. And you know that's normal when you've got a new announcement. But also, are we included? Are we not included? The events-based businesses. I was hearing directly from many of them uh, yesterday because you know it's really not clear whether they're going to be included in this tourism and hospitality, what they're calling the tourism and hospitality recovery program. And events-based businesses have just been slammed. You know, two summers with no wedding. 
wedding, mm-hmm. um, essentially. Think about it that way, right? They've really been hard hit. Um, so that was one, one, there's a lot of confusion about who's in. And so we'll be sorting that out, of course, over the next week. We've been, you know, we've been on the phone with finance and, and our president has had a couple of direct calls with Freeland as well. So we're, you know, we're, we're on it. Right. Um, but that's going to always, that takes a little while to sort out. And then the second big concern is, you know, whoa, this is like, this is, this is not feeling like a soft landing out of this mess. We still have some pretty big restrictions in place. Um, you know, there's, of course, the vaccine passports, but there's also the border restrictions, sure. which has a big impact on tourism. You know, needing a $200 test to get into the country is, um, you know, still putting a big damper. And think about downtown businesses, how they're feeling right now. The coffee shop down the street from my office, I've talked about uh, that coffee shop a number of times on your show. Mm-hmm. He's still down 70%. Yeah. And, so, you know, he's going to qualify for 40% help with rent. I don't know. So what is the, what are the banking sector saying about all of this? Because a lot of these businesses, as you pointed out, Laura, and we've had this conversation more than a few times since COVID began, uh, the, the, the debt load is astronomical and, and perhaps beyond what they could have ever imagined when they started into this business enterprise venture. Uh, and they've been up to a certain point getting support from the banking sector. Where are they at now? Well, there's no additional announcements on um, what's not changing is the um, the Canada Emergency Business Account. So there's no that those are the interest free loans right. up to sixty thousand dollars with a, a portion that's um, where you, you don't have to repay if those loans are paid back um, by uh, December um, uh, December of of uh, 2020, you know what, I'm not, I'm, now I don't have it right in front of me. And the, the, there's so many different facts and figures, so I better not say, but you've got to pay them back. And, and um, but there's nothing happening there. We've been lobbying for changes um, to that, of course, and for more help, because that debt is a big, big issue for businesses. And I look at, I'm again, looking at our survey results that are fresh out in the field right now, 16% are actively considering right now bankruptcy or some other form of winding up their business. And then we say, well, you know, what, what's causing that? And one of the things on the list, there are three big things on the list, debt, end of support uh, systems, and labor shortages. So, you know, again, these supports are continue to be very um, important to see businesses, hard hit businesses to the other side. We are not back to normal. You know, the downtown still um, office buildings are still pretty empty. Um, Tourism is still dead. Um, There's, you know, we're we're there are a lot of businesses who are struggling international tourism. I should I should. Indeed. I'm looking at I'm looking at the website that says uh, the the CFIB dot CA website uh, with all sorts of good information and support for business owners right across Canada. Uh, Laura, I'm fresh out of time. Always grateful for yours. And I'm just commending your website to our listeners uh, because uh, there's all sorts of uh, reaction, of course, to the support programs. That's all part of it. But again, lots of COVID-19 questions and uh, uh, just questions to back up getting through all of this. Laura, always a pleasure. Thank Thanks so much. Thank you. Here's a quote from Dr. Bonnie Henry from a couple of days ago. Quote, this year, it's especially important for people to get vaccinated against influenza. Last year's low influenza rates means our immunity against influenza 
is lower than usual. Here to talk more about the flu shot is the president of the BC Pharmacy Association. A pleasure, a pleasure to welcome Annette Robinson to our show this morning. Annette, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you with us. I got to tell you, Annette, Monday morning, 10.30 a.m., I got my flu shot. And guess who gave it to me? My pharmacist. I'm a happy guy. Um, great to hear that. Great to hear that. Yeah, we're excited that uh, the flu immunization season began this week. Uh, we had a coordinated start date on October 18th. Right. And pharmacies are available to administer vaccines for British Columbians. Right. And pharmacy, uh, the influenza vaccine, again, is free, correct? It is publicly funded, so there's no charge to the patient. Yes. Okay, so now uh, it's uh, is the pharmacy, Annette, the most likely spot for a British Columbian to get their influenza shot, or typically do we go elsewhere? Well, we administered well over a million flu shots last year, so it makes sense that you would visit your trusted pharmacy and pharmacy team mm-hmm. to get your vaccine this year as well. Yeah, that's what we did. Too. We had our vaccine last year at the pharmacy and, and so went back this year. Now, I made a, a casual inquiry uh, in sometime in early September about, you know, when did the flu shot start? And my pharmacist, uh, Doris, said, um, well, in October sometime, uh, would you like us to put your name on the list? And I said, absolutely. So Carol and I put our names on the list and we ended up getting out on the very first day. I guess being on the list is is a part of this, Annette, along long-winded way of asking uh, you just can't walk into a pharmacy and get a shot you need to set it up for yourself in advance don't you yeah you can well imagine that pharmacies are very busy this time of year but there are over 1300 pharmacies that are participating in this campaign so it i would suggest that you go online uh, you can go to bcpharmacy.ca slash flu okay or on even icc's flu locator um, we also suggest that you can go to your pharmacy's website, and it never hurts like you did to uh, inquire with your pharmacist the next time you go into your pharmacy. Sure, and you know we're all in there for prescriptions or one thing or another uh, a lot. So to just ask, uh, casually ask what's going on with flu shots—that's all it takes—and uh, then they'll tell you uh, we're already administering them, or we're expecting ours next week, or would you like us to put you on the list? Generally, comes up pretty quickly, doesn't it? It certainly does. That should be a conversation that we all have with your pharmacist and pharmacy team. Very important that uh, everyone goes and gets their influenza vaccine this year. Now, let's talk a little bit about the apprehension that some British Columbians continue to feel about about getting shots of any kind. For example, what sort of specialized training or additional training does a pharmacist go through before he or she is allowed to administer shots? Well, every pharmacist has to go through some um, online training, uh, especially with COVID now. Sure. And then also in-person training and practice the administration of both the the uh, shot and also for kids two years and older, the intranasal spray. So lots of background training in addition to the thing that we already have as pharmacists. Now, uh, there was a sort of a priority thing, Annette, as I understand it, the, the idea being with the flu shot rollout this year that the, the highest priority would be given to persons 65 or older and then anyone else who wants to join the lineup can. When does, when does the, the shot of available to all British Columbians. Is that already now? Yeah, the shot, the flu shots are available to all British Columbians. So that means for community pharmacy, anyone five years old and older 
can get immunized by injection. And in addition, any children that are two years old and older may be eligible to receive the intranasal vaccine from their pharmacist. Okay, here's another another fairly asked uh, question. Uh, does the flu shot actually give you the flu or just stimulate your immune system? Yeah, the flu shot does not give you the flu, but it revs up your immune system much like you've just described. And, um, you know, the, the side effects, the fever, sometimes the soreness at the vaccine site is a good sign that, that your immune system is working and you're ready to fight the flu if you do come in contact with anything. And is there, uh, as is the case we know, for example, Annette, when you get a COVID shot, uh, even your second shot, you're not considered to be fully vaccinated until two weeks after that second shot. Uh, with influenza vaccine, the flu shot, is there a similar sort of two-week delay period before you can said to, you could be said to be uh, immune or as immune as you're going to get? Yeah, we're, we're um, vaccinating people now. That is indeed what will happen um, when the flu is circulating at a more higher rate. We'll be ready. And remember that if you have received your COVID-19 vaccine, you can also still receive a flu vaccine anytime before or after. So no need to wait. Make sure you get your COVID-19 vaccine and, as we're discussing today, your flu vaccine. Now, I was going to ask you, you just took my next question right away from me, Annette. And good, well done, I must say, because that was my next question, just in terms of the mix, the COVID vaccine, of course, and the flu shot. Would it be safe to say, though, if you've had a recent um, COVID shot, that you should wait two weeks before getting your flu shot? Is that a, a reasonable assumption? No, uh, research has shown that if you've received your COVID-19 vaccine, uh, you can certainly get your immunization for flu right away. Well, we'll here, need to wait. Here's an email from Al, and Al uh, emails us a lot on the weekends. He says, I just walked into Save On Foods in Mission, and four minutes later, I had my shot. That was yesterday. Now, that's some kind of service, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, there's over 1,300 pharmacies ready we had direct distribution of the flu vaccines from our wholesalers this year. Uh-huh. So everyone that wants to participate at the pharmacy level has their product in stock and is ready to help out to get this campaign completed. All right. So you said you administered over a million flu shots last year, and that was in an off year, Annette. As uh, Dr. Henry pointed out, I quoted her at the beginning of this uh, of this interview. Uh, she said uh, last year was really light. A lot of us didn't go out much. That helped. But our immunity to influenza because of that is quite low right now, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And that's why we're, you know, it's so important that everyone thinks about getting this flu shot. We're hoping that we're going to hit a two million mark. Let's, let's hope that that's the case. And uh, as we start coming together more, it's more and more important to be protected. Annette Robinson, thanks so much for doing this with us this morning. You've answered a couple of very important questions that weigh heavily on the minds of some and provided um, the rest of us with a good reminder that, yes, it's flu season, and by gosh, it's going to be a tough season. Better get that shot organized. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Bye-bye. It's our pleasure. There's Annette Robinson, the president of the BC Pharmacy Association. So there you go. Flu shots all set to roll out. Mario, good morning. 
Good morning, Sterling. Great to be here with you. Well, it's good to have you with us. Interestingly, we're going to talk about cannabis legalization acceptance. And here we are, literally in the month of October, Mario, three years almost to the day. It was the 18th, as I recall, three years ago, that the uh, cannabis became legal across Canada. And still, almost three years to the day later, in Metro Vancouver, there are no cannabis retail outlets in Surrey. And there are none in Richmond. All of this really dovetails nicely with the findings that you've just released in one of your polls. Cannabis legalization acceptance differs along ethnic lines. Tell us more, please, Mario. Well, we were really curious to see how uh, BC residents felt about marijuana legalization. We've seen support for legalization uh, be high even before this became a reality under Justin Trudeau. And we were curious about how it looks from an ethnic standpoint. Mm -hmm. Is this this a situation where specific groups are more likely to be supportive? And we see the differences in the places that have chosen to have this type of store. Sure. And the numbers don't lie. You know, we do see a higher level of support for legalization from British Columbians of European ancestry at 72%. But minorities of those of South Asian and East Asian origins, 44% and 41% respectively. So... A lot of this support is coming from the European side of things, not a lot of it uh, from those who are of South Asian or East Asian descent. When you surveyed the, uh, the, these people and, and were asking about to support for legalization, etc., and you found those specific communities that, in, in, which represented less than half the community level of support, did you investigate why the support was so low? Well, it's definitely related to the fact that... Um, It's not something that has been ingrained. You know, we do see a lot of support from European BC residents. They're more likely to know about this. Uh, Part of what happens with new communities is they essentially try to establish um, their own uh, customs that they're bringing from their own countries. And, you know, they are coming from places where marijuana is not really that big. Uh, Ultimately, also, if you look into the standpoint of the situation uh, for East Asians, you know, many of them are coming from countries where this is heavily penalized, mm-hmm. especially if you're looking at a place like Singapore. Of course. So it's quite complex. And I think it really speaks to the way in which you can, really can have a specific structure for this that is going to be appealing to everybody. It's not the same as trying to open a liquor store, for instance. You know, we're still way many years uh, behind when it comes to BC residents looking at this in the same way. We do see that with European British Columbians, um, but those who are not um, from the same origin are certainly having doubts over whether this is the right course of action. Yeah, Mario, one of the reasons the feds decided three years ago to legalize cannabis was, uh, in their own words, was to eliminate, their word, the black market. Well, now there was a story in the Vancouver Sun that I'm sure you saw a couple of days ago uh, talking about the number of gray market dispensaries that are still operating in Vancouver. Not a massive number, as as there could have been a couple of years ago, but nonetheless, uh, close to a dozen. Uh, so that it's still there what is what's the uh, did, did that factor into the responses at all the black market thing well this is something that we've been looking into since legalization began and we really don't see the entire wiping out of the black market or the gray market uh, the numbers are a little bit better than they were a couple of years ago we have 39 percent of cannabis users who say that all of their product was is actually being obtained at a licensed retailer mm-hmm. this is higher than what we saw a couple of years ago 
but it's nowhere near the levels that we were promised. And, you know, part of the reason to do this, and one of the, and this is one of the key elements that made um, fiscal conservatives be supportive of marijuana legalization. We're going to get the tax windfall. We still see a lot of people, particularly over the age of 55, who have decided that they're not going to go through legal means, that they have their person that they use before legalization, sure, right. and that is the way they want to continue. So it's um, really an interesting challenge from a policy uh, view, uh, because you have the 18 to 34-year-olds becoming new users and certainly going to these places to buy cannabis legally, and you have the over 55s who say, I don't think this is right for me. I'm going to continue doing things the same way I did before marijuana was legal. Interesting. Now, you just talked about new users or younger consumers. Since cannabis has become legal, literally since three years, have we noted or were you able to note any increase in consumption or curiosity? There is a bit of a shift, and this is something that started. Um, back in April of 2019, you know, we had six months uh, of legalization and we had only 6% of people who said that they tried marijuana for the first time after it became legal. Right. Now it's up to 18%. Mm. And a lot of this is coming from younger people. Uh, those who are aged 18 to 34 uh, found uh, something, they're definitely more curious about this. And this is one of the reasons for the numbers to be a little bit higher than they were. This doesn't mean that everybody's open to this. We continue to see about 30, 40% of BC residents who say, it's your thing, do it if you want to, but I'm not interested. Sure. And one other question quickly here. Uh, there's a, a push by some at City Hall in Vancouver to have the feds legalize a lot of street drugs beyond cannabis. When you did your survey, did you investigate any of that in terms of sentiments among the general population regarding uh, loosening of the laws around other drugs? Well, I've been curious about this uh, for a few years now because, you know, we keep hearing about the idea of decriminalizing everything, which is a little bit different from uh, the legal framework that we have right now for marijuana. Um, the number of residents who would like to incorporate other illegal substances to the legal framework that we have for marijuana is very low. Uh, fewer than one in seven people who believe that ecstasy, heroin, cocaine yeah. should be legalized and should be readily available in the same way that we have cannabis now. So, it's a delicate balance. You know, on the one side, uh, you're looking at the decriminalization issue as something that could be better, um, but it's not as if we're all embracing the opportunity to allow some of these substances to be legalized. Part of it has to do with the natural elements of it. It's very complicated mm -hmm. to bring fentanyl into the same place where you're growing a plant. Yeah. Mario, as always, we do appreciate your taking a few moments on a Saturday to join us. All the findings of this cannabis poll, friends, are available at Mario's excellent website, researchco.ca. Mr. Conseco, have a great day. Thanks, Mario. Thank you, Sterling. You too. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen to us live 6 to 9 weekend mornings. I'm Sterling Fox. Have a great week. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. 
<laughs> For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.